0: In preparation for Passion Week, we are looking at the supporting cast involved in the drama behind the cross. In any great drama, you have people who might not be on center stage, but they are essential for the overall drama to take place, for the story to be told. And through this series, we're looking at a few members of the supporting cast Around behind the drama of the cross. Two weeks ago Jordan introduced to you Mary of Bethany who anointed Jesus for burial and last week uh, you looked at Judas of Iscariot the great betrayer. Now this morning we're going to look at Barbados, a story of an accused murderer who is released, excuse me, Barabbas a story of an accused murderer who was released because of an innocent man took his place, his punishment. The story of Barabbas is recorded in all four Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But I've chosen Luke's Gospel for today's reading of Scripture. So hear now the Word of God, Luke chapter 23, verses 1 through 25.
1: He sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him him In an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But <coughs> the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, I a appealed to them again, but they kept shouting. I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But the loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will.
0: Thanks be to God for his holy and inspired word. Amen. Uh, There's nothing wrong with your eyes, all right? The projector uh, decided to um, go frizzy this morning, so nothing we can do about it. But I'm sure you've all been to worship services where there wasn't a projector, so anyway, it's no big deal, right? Right? All right, thank you for that. The name Barabbas appears nowhere else in the New Testament except in these accounts where Jesus is on trial before Pilate. The Bible does not give us any information about his childhood. It doesn't give us any information about what happened to Barabbas after this episode of Scripture. But we do know that his name means son of the father or son of the teacher, indicating perhaps that his father was a Jewish rabbi. Now, even though this name was very popular for sons of Jewish rabbis, some have su- suggested that Barabbas might have been a son of a famous rabbi. Now, in all of this kind of makes sense because the gospel narrative clearly identifies Barabbas as a religious radical who was notorious for his belief in the sacred state of Israel ...and for his contempt for the Roman occupation of Israel and Jerusalem. John's Gospel identifies Barabbas as a thief. But this is not the word that's used for a common, everyday thief. You see, Barabbas was an insurgent. He was a rebel. He was a a revolutionary... ...who had committed acts of terrorism against the Roman government to cause chaos and confusion. And this, this, say, this word thief is the same word that is used to describe the two men that hung on the cross on either side of Jesus at their crucifixion because they were probably along with Barabbas in these acts of insurrection against Rome. You need to understand that common everyday thieves were not crucified. The death penalty wasn't for common everyday thieves. You just throw a common everyday thief in the jail. But crucifixion was for insurrectionists. Now, Mark and Luke's gospel tell us that Barabbas was an was an insurrectionist who was involved in the Jewish efforts to throw off the Roman government and that he had actually committed murder in the time of the insurrection. Now historians tell us that there were during this time there were many riots against Rome in Jerusalem and in Judea and not only against Rome but riots against the local Roman governor, Pilate. And Barabbas may have been a murderer, even a leader, a member, and even a leader of the party of the Zealots. The Zealots party was a movement that was, was to incite the people to, re, to rebel against the Roman Empire and to expel Rome out of the region and to use force if necessary. So it's reasonable to assume that Barabbas was a leader behind these revolts, and he was viewed by the people as a local hero, a kind of religious Robin Hood, if you would. Barabbas's radical views, well, it must have justified him to commit murder during these riots against Rome, and that is what led him into prison, waiting crucifixion. Now, Matthew identifies Barabbas as a notorious prisoner. <laughs> and that's really a, a perfect two-word description of this guy. You see, it is reasonable to conclude that Barabbas was a son of a, of a Jewish rabbi who had developed radical religious views about the nation of Israel who had joined the party of the Zealots and rose to the top of that terrorist organization and led revolts, riots against Rome. Barabbas was a hometown hero who had murderous blood on his hands and he was eventually captured, imprisoned, and sitting in a Roman jail cell, awaiting his execution by crucifixion. Now, we don't have any evidence to show that Jesus and Barabbas had ever met before. But all that is going to change on this first Good Friday morning. The scripture reads, Now, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders and the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes the payment of taxes to Caesar. Well, you can't blame him for that. But anyway, he opposes the payment of taxes to Caesar and he claims to be a messiah a king Now remember the night before Jesus was arrested in the garden and he was brought before the Sanhedrin and during all that questioning and beating and and uh, against Jesus we know that they concluded that Jesus was a blasphemer But now blasphemy was a charge that Pilate didn't really care about Blasphemy is a religious thing. Pilate is a Roman government of Jerusalem, governor of Jerusalem. So these guys had to change their tactic. So they accused Jesus of being an insurgent against Rome. Accusing him to, uh, to subverting the nation, opposing Roman ta- taxes, and claiming himself to be a king. Basically, the chief priests were accusing Jesus as being an insurrectionist against Rome. The same exact crime that Barabbas was sentenced to die for. So, as they brought Jesus to Pilate, Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And you have said so, Jesus replies. Now, this, this one sentence and answer Response that we find in Luke is expanded upon in Luke's gospel. When Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answers like this My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So because of this answer, Pilate concluded that Jesus was not an insurrectionist, as they were claiming, but rather he was an innocent religious man. So Pilate told the chief priest, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But notice they insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea, By his teachings, he started in Galilee and has come all the way to here. And when Pilate hears the word Galilee, his ears pop up like an old hound dog and says, Galilee? I don't have jurisdiction over Galilee. That's Herod's job. So he sends Jesus off to Herod. And as you can see from the text, Herod was delighted to come face to face with Jesus. But the whole interview didn't go that well. He questioned Jesus, that he mocked him, treated him with contempt, and concluded, though, that Jesus was innocent of the charges of insurrection. And he sent him back to Pilate. And when Jesus returned, Pilate called together the the chief... Uh, and the rulers of the people, and he says to them, You have brought this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence, and I have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing deserving death. Therefore, I will punish him... And release him. And the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Now, oftentimes, because we know the narrative of scripture, we hear responses like that. Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. And we just like, okay, yeah, of course. But you have to stop and ask yourself the question, how could the crowd come to that conclusion to sentence Jesus to death and release Barabbas so quickly? How, how, why was that the first thing that they said? The reason is, is that the chief priest and the population knew that Barabbas, their hometown hero, had been scheduled for crucifixion later that same day for the crimes of insurrection. And they also knew that Pilate had this custom of releasing one prisoner during the Feast of the Passover, which it was this period of time now, Passover. Passover. So it's easy for them to say, give us our hero, you take this heretic. Now, Pilate's custom of releasing a prisoner during the time of Passover was known as the Passover pardon. And even though this custom is not recorded in any historical document other than the Gospels, It seems that Pilate came up with this custom himself, this use of this Passover pardon to gain support, public support during the times where he was experiencing all these riots and this, this unstable situation. However, releasing a notorious prisoner like Barabbas was going way beyond the scope of what Pilate had done in in the past. For Pilate, you need to know it was hard to release any prisoner. (laughs) He was just doing it for the people. But letting a notorious terrorist, a murderer like this man, back out into the streets of Jerusalem well, let's just conclude that this was way outside of Pilate's quest for public relations. What the chief priests and the crowds were demanding, though, when they said, release, uh, uh, you know, away with this man, release Barabbas, it, it's different, though, than what Pilate had done in his previous past Passover pardon. They were asking for Pilate to to, they were not asking for Pilate just to release a prisoner like what he had done in the past. They were demanding him to substitute one person for another. And that's not the way the Passover pardon worked. See, they were demanding that he substitute an innocent man. For an insurrectionist. You see, the the chief priest, they had accused Jesus of being an insurrectionist. So in their minds, it all made perfect sense. Just substitute one insurrectionist for another. The problem is, is that Pilate believed Jesus to be innocent of these charges. But the chief priests, they continued to stir up the crowd, demanding Barabbas release. Pilate, well, he became concerned that a riot was going to break out right there in front of him. And he certainly didn't want that. In the back of Pilate's mind, he had to have remembered. Because this guy he didn't like. He had to remember that he already prepared three crosses and that he had already scheduled the crucifixion of Barabbas and his two accomplices for later on that morning. The problem is, is that the chief priests and the crowds knew it too. Barabbas was their hero. They were sad about the fact that he was going to die on a cross. So, just take Jesus, one insurrectionist, and give us... Another. So Pilate made one final attempt to release Jesus. And he said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate says, well, what do you want me to do with this Jesus who's called to Christ? They said, crucify him. So he released Barabbas. Barabbas. The one who was in jail for the insurrection and murder. And he surrendered Jesus to their will, to their wishes. Surrendered Jesus to be crucified. Now, this act of injustice so impacted the early Christians... That the Apostle Peter even makes mention of it in his second sermon in the book of Acts. When he told the crowd, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. This act of injustice just must have just went to the core. How could they do this? Release this righteous and holy one for this murderer. But this morning, I want to challenge you to look beyond the injustice. And I want to challenge you to see divine justice. I want you to see that God had orchestrated the events surrounding Barabbas to give us a visual illustration of substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. We're all familiar with substitutes, right? Teachers substituting for another teacher who is absent. Athletes being substituted with other athletes because one is injured or exhausted or not playing well. A substitute, as we all know, takes the place of another. But it's more than that when we look at the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement means that Jesus not only took our place, but he suffered our punishment. And he died the death that we deserve to die. See, substitutionary atonement is not one teacher substituting for another teacher. It's not one athlete substituting for another athlete. And in this case, it's not one insurrectionist being substituted for another insurrectionist. Substitutionary atonement is that the righteous one substitutes for the unrighteous. Substitutionary atonement is the innocent one substitutes for the guilty one. And this is exactly what we see in the story of Jesus and Barabbas. I want you to see that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit guided Luke to write four times declaring Jesus' innocence. It seems that when you read these 25 verses in Luke chapter 23, it seems that the Holy Spirit wants to to put on us the pressure of understanding that Jesus was innocent. And Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. In verse 4, then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for the charge against this man. In verses 14 and 15, I have examined him in your presence, and I found no basis for the charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing deserving death. Verse 20, wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. And then in verse 22, He spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found no grounds for the death penalty. Luke is making a strong point that Jesus was innocent while making it clear that Barabbas was guilty. I want you to understand Jesus and Barabbas aren't equals swapping places. It's not one teacher substituting for another teacher or one athlete substituting for another athlete. They're not equals. And that is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. That the innocent one, our Lord Jesus, took the place, the punishment, and the death deserved to the guilty one, Barabbas. Now, in the court of human justice, brabus deserves death for his lawless deeds. But in the court of divine justice, thanks be to God, Jesus takes our place, suffers our punishment, and dies our death. It seems that the whole narrative is driving home the point of substitutionary atonement. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul would write later. Christ Jesus gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. It's exactly what the Apostle Peter would write later. For Christ also died for sins once for all, The just for the unjust, so that he might bring us back to God. Thanks be to the Lord. You see, the the world looks for a hero who is willing to kill for a cause. But here we see a hero who is willing to lay his life down as a ransom for many. The innocent Jesus not only took upon himself Barabbas' guilt, but he placed himself on Barabbas' cross. The cross that had been appointed for Barabbas to be on. He suffered the punishment, the whipping, the the scourging. Everything that Barabbas was going to get later on in that morning, Jesus took it upon himself. And then he was nailed to a cross, Barabbas' cross, and eventually died a death that we deserve to die, that in doing so satisfied divine justice, the innocent substituting for the guilty. The text is clear. Jesus is unmistakably innocent and Barabbas is clearly guilty. So as Barabbas, as Pilate releases Barabbas, the guilty, and delivers over Jesus, the innocent, to death, we have a perfect, 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 perfect picture of substitutionary atonement. Are y'all getting it? In Barabbas, we have a glimpse of our guilt. Our guilt that deserves death. And in Christ, we have a visual of the amazing grace offered through Jesus Christ who willingly went to our cross to satisfy divine justice on our behalf. As we read this narrative, we have to, if we really want to glorify God, I think we have to identify with Barabbas. I am him, guilty of lawless deeds, an insurrectionist in the core of my heart, and a murderer. Not that I murder someone physically, but in my thoughts, in my words, and my deeds, I murder all day long. I am Barabbas. You are Barabbas. That's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus took our place. The hymn writer wrote, And can it be that I should gain an entrance in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused His pain, for me, to him, to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? It's fascinating to think how Barabbas might have reacted when he got the news. Sitting in his jail cell, perhaps doodling in the dirt in darkness, thinking about the impending crucifixion that was just hours away, suddenly someone bursts into that dungeon hall and shouts, Barabbas! You're free! This Jesus who's called the Christ, He took your place! You can go! (laughs) You can go! Can you only imagine what must have been going through Barabbas' mind when he walked out of that damp dungeon, unshackled, breathing fresh air, and the sun, the warmth of the sun hitting his face as he walked out of that dungeon tomb, that jail cell. He's saying to himself, I'm a free man. Everything I have done, there's no charges against me. I'm absolutely free. I'm free to go. I'm set free because of the substitution of an innocent Savior. I'm set free of my guilt, of my lawless deeds, of my murderous act, so that I might enjoy a new life. We don't know how Barabbas responded to his newfound freedom. Would he return to his lawless deeds, being celebrated as a local hero? Or would he live the rest of his life in gratitude to the one who took his place on on the cross? We have no way of knowing Now, some have speculated that out of curiosity that he followed Jesus to the cross and watched him die. And some think that he actually came to saving faith in the one who literally died in his place. But in actuality, we really don't know. But this is what we do know. This is what we do know. The opportunity for you to be freed from your guilt... Of all from all your lawless deeds and all your murderous acts of thoughts, words and deeds is offered the freedom. Your freedom is offered to you today because of the substitutionary atonement of Christ. That we know for sure. The Holy Spirit is busting into our dark prison cell of our hearts and he's shouting, you can go free. This Jesus, the Christ, he's taken your place on the cross. And so this morning we can walk out of the damp dungeons of our hearts, unshackled, freed to live a life of gratitude to the one who took our place, who suffered our punishment and died on the cross to set us free. Amen? Yes. My challenge for you today In a new, fresh way, embrace the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Embrace it. You don't deserve it. Neither do I. But it's true. Christ died for you. You guilty, lawless, murderous person. This morning we have the grand opportunity to profess our faith to ourselves, to God, and to one another by receiving the Lord's Supper together. The table set up behind me is the Lord's table. It's not the table of this church or the table of this denomination. This is the Lord's table. Therefore. All those who are believers in Christ, all those who have embraced the doctrine of substitutionary atonement, even if you embraced it just a moment ago, this table is for you. For on this table are two simple elements, the bread representing the Lord's body, which was broken for us, and the cup representing his blood, which was shed for us. The two simple symbols of our redemption, the two simple symbols of our substitutionary atonement. And the Bible tells us that as we come to this table in a worthy manner and we partake of these elements together, we are spiritually nourished because of our renewed commitment of faith and because of the realities of Christ that have been born into our hearts. We eat and we drink the salvation of our God. We consume it into our lives as a symbol of that's exactly what we want to do every moment of our lives. So, the Bible calls us to examine our hearts before we receive the supper. And this morning, I'd ask you to search your heart. Search your heart. Do you, have you truly embraced the doctrine of substitutionary atonement? Is your righteousness based upon your efforts or upon the work of Christ? And at the same time, I think it's noteworthy that we, 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 we accept the fact that we are guilty of lawless deeds, we're insurrectionists to God, and that we truly are murderous to others. And we want the Lord to deliver us out of this dark dungeon that we live in. So as I prepare the table for us this morning and the worship team comes back up, let's have a time of quiet prayer before we receive the supper.